Well, I came back late last night from the men's retreat that's still in session. They'll be ending this morning up in the, in the uh, Crestline, Pinecrest area. We're, uh, we were blessed at the retreat. The men were just really being blessed and filled and uh, just a, a great time. I came back late last night. What I'd like to share with you this morning is some things that the Lord put on my heart for the men. So uh, I'll be sowing that here into the heart of our church here today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'd like to talk to you about the ministry of grace. The ministry of grace. You know, uh, this week, just before the retreat, we also had the, the Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference, which was held at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And so this, this year was a blessing. We were able to bring our wives, so myself and the assisting pastors, we, we and our wives were able to be down there this past week. And what a, what a blessed time, just hearing wonderful teaching and, and encouraging words uh, that were shared throughout the conference. But you know, kind of the big takeaway for me from the conference, which is the, the, kind of the way I feel after each conference every year, is just to be reminded of the work of God that is going on in the earth. You know, we're here at our church and, and in our ministry, and we're very connected with what God is doing here, but it's good to remember that we're just really one small piece of what God is doing in the earth. We're just a part of the body of Christ. We're just a part of the kingdom work. And it's so encouraging to hear the testimonies, people from really all over the world sharing with their story and how God, how they got saved, how they got called, how they planted works, even in foreign countries, and how God is now bearing fruit, His grace really abounding through the lives of those that He's touched. And, and that's a little bit of what I want to speak to you about today, the, the grace of God, not only the grace of God that comes to us in salvation, but how the grace of God wants to work through us in the kingdom program that God is advancing in the earth. And you and I are part of that, each and every one of us. You're there in 2 Corinthians, and I'll, I'll join you there shortly. But let me remind you of a passage out of the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, and verse 8. The Apostle Paul writes this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the classic passage on salvation by grace through faith. It is by grace you're saved, not of works, not of anything that you have done to merit or earn salvation. It is the inward work of God's grace alone. But, but Paul goes on, not only has God's grace come to save, but God's grace has come to work out good works through your life. That's the second part of that passage. By grace, we are also His workmanship created for good works. God's grace doesn't want to just reside within kind of as a secret treasure, but rather it wants to almost kind of explode out of your life and bubble over into ministry and touching other lives. Isn't that how God's grace came to you? It came through someone's testimony, someone sharing the gospel, someone inviting you to a message, a sermon, a, 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 um, an outreach. Somehow God brought the gospel to you through the life of someone else who knew Christ. 
Maybe it was your parents. Maybe you grew up in a setting. But even that is God's grace coming to you through the, the workers of his grace, those that he has uh, used for the outworking of salvation in other lives. Now, you're there in chapter 6. Let me give you a little bit of uh, background. The Apostle Paul in chapter 5 is talking about the grace of God in his life and how it has now really compelled him to be this worker for Christ. Now, keep in mind, we're not saved by works, but the salvation that has come into our heart produces this work of grace through our lives. Paul would say in chapter 5, verse 14, that the love of Christ compels him. It's this love that God has touched my life with that now drives me, it motivates me, it, it, it inspires me to serve the Lord and to see others touched by this love. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul talks about this work of grace. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Listen, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul said, listen, I'm a new creature in Christ. All who come to Christ, we're, we're like a new creation. And this ministry of reconciliation, we were, we were alienated from God. Our sin was separating us from God, but now we've been reconciled to God through Christ. And now he has entrusted to us that, that ministry of reconciliation. We are now out sharing Christ. We are representing Christ that others too may be reconciled to God. This is why he would go on to say in verse 20 of chapter 5, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see how Paul recognizes that he is now a partner in the work of reconciliation. His life being made useful as an ambassador. This is the backdrop to what he now begins to say in chapter 6, and you're there with me, look at the first two verses. We then, ambassadors, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, Paul is saying, look, we're, we're co-workers with Jesus. We're ambassadors. God has put us into, into service. And, and as we share the gospel, we, we urge that as you hear the gospel, that that grace that you're hearing would not lie dormant in your life, but that you would receive it. But in the context here, it seems he's also inviting us to the work. Just as we are co-workers by the grace of God, we plead that you would also step up and get engaged in allowing God to use your life in this ministry of reconciliation. And he says, today's the day, now's the time. Allow the Lord's grace to have its full measure in your life. And he says something interesting. I'm He's hopeful that the grace of God will not be in vain. How is it that the grace of God could come to our lives in vain? In, in other words, not not having its full effect, not having its intended result in our life. I think there's a couple ways that, that we can, we can uh, 
kind of not appropriate the grace of God in full measure. One way would be to not understand the grace of God. We, we would imagine that somehow, you know, we have to contribute to our right standing with God. We, we think that maybe by good works, maybe by some religious activity or, or some kind of a religious ritual, that, you know, that that's what really makes us acceptable to God. That's, that's how I earn favor with God. Well, that would be to completely misunderstand grace, wouldn't it? Grace is free. Paul said in Ephesians, it's not by works, lest any man should boast. You have nothing to offer the, to the grace of God. You're saved today. You stand before God in right in righteousness and cleanness and holiness and purity, not because of anything that you have done, but simply by the gift of grace. The only thing you and I did, we believed it. We believed that he loved us when he sent Christ. Trying to contribute to, your, to, to the grace of God actually would, would, would set the grace of God aside. It would actually cause the grace of God to be of no effect. Paul said as much in Galatians 2, 21, he said, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Paul said, I dare not touch the grace of God. The grace of God that comes to me in Christ, what can I contribute to that? What goodness can I bring to what God has done? Nothing. I have nothing to offer. I dare not let that grace be diminished in my life, that it would be in vain, that I would set it aside. No, I embrace fully the grace of God. I recognize that it is all by what Christ has done for me that gives me my place in standing with the Lord. But another way that I think in, in our context of 2 Corinthians, another way I think the grace of God might be in vain is by not allowing the grace of God now that you've received Christ, now that you've come into right standing by grace, that you would not allow the grace of God to bring about the fruitful changes that he wants to bring in your life, and then not allowing to, the grace of God to work through your life in service and ministry unto the Lord. In other words, the grace of God would come, you would get, be saved, you would have your sins forgiven, but then the grace of God would just kind of stop there in your life. And Paul is saying, no, God's grace wants to do more than that, than just save you. God's grace wants to change you, to transform you, and to use your life. Isn't that what he said in Ephesians? You are now his workmanship, created for good works that God has prepared beforehand. The grace of God wants to put us into useful service in our generation, in our time. In, in, in the time that God has, has us here on the earth. You know, Paul would say this about his own life. Again, you don't need to turn, but let me reference these passages for you. Paul would say this about the grace of God in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. By, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Listen. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. There's that idea, the grace of God in vain. Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God, but the grace that God brought to my life to save me, to rescue my life from sin and death, he is also, it, it, it's not in vain because I have now cooperated with that grace and labored, but not I, it was the grace of God in me. You get the idea of this co-laboring, this cooperation that God's grace wants to work through your life. And, and that's what he's saying in 2 Corinthians. We're co-workers with him. 
And we pray that you too will allow the grace of God to have that outworking in your ministry, outworking in your service, that it will manifest in some area of life, in worship, in expression, in service. And now is the time. We'll move on in our text. Paul is now going to talk about his ministry more specifically. And, you know, in a sense, this is a great insight for us. Imagine yourself having to start a new job tomorrow morning. Monday, first day on the job. It's a new company, maybe even a new field of, of work for you. You've got this job, you're not, you're not experienced with it. It's not a job you've done before. How valuable would it be to talk to someone who had great experience in that company and in that job? Oh man, that, that would, you would want to say, hey, what's this job like? What's the environment in the company? What, what are they looking for? What tools, resources, skills do I need? What, what's the outcome if, as I work and, 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 and you know, go forward in the company? What might I expect? I mean, that, that would certainly be a question in, in your heart if you were going to get engaged in something like that uh, as a, in, a, in a new endeavor. Well, that's kind of what we have here. As we think about ministry, as we think about what God might have for us in our service to Him, we've got an expert, the Apostle Paul telling us, look, guys, here's what ministry looks like. Here's what you might expect. Here are the things that I've experienced in ministry. So with that in mind, pick it up now as we press on. Look at verse 3. Well, actually, I'm going to read 3 through 10. I'm going to read the whole, that's my whole text this morning, and then we'll come back and look at it in some detail. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Boy, Paul gives his resume here. He says, look, this is what serving God this is what being an ambassador for Christ has looked like in my life. He's kind of laying it out for us. The first thing we notice is Paul speaks of the integrity of his ministry. Look again with me, verse 3. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. Believer, Christian, Today, I want to ask you, do you take your service unto God with the same kind of importance that the Apostle Paul did? Are you concerned about the integrity of your service to the Lord, your witness, the way you conduct yourself on the job? And might I remind you, as a Christian, you're always on the clock. Your life is on the clock at church, at work. At home, you're a Christian, by the way, wherever you go. At least you're supposed to be. You know that. Not just at church. You're not just on the clock here. 
Your, your, God has employed you to be his representative, his ambassador 24-7. And Paul said, look, this, this is the way we conduct ourselves. We're careful that we not do anything that might bring an offense or blame upon the ministry. Is it important that those of us that call ourselves Christian, is it important that we be careful the way that we live and conduct ourselves in our life? Or do we just, you know, you know, uh, you know well, when, when people are watching, of course, but, but then in certain settings, you know, I can just act and be whoever I want. Don't you, don't you see that that could undermine your ministry as ambassador, your reconciliation that you're trying to bring to people's hearts and lives? No, we, we've got to be serious about this, folks. We, we, we can't offend, but rather we need to commend, present ourselves as Christians. Now, the gospel message itself will offend, but boy, don't you and I be the source of that offense. You know, there's a, a Christian church in Paul's day on the island of Crete, and Paul sent one of his assistant pastors by the name of Titus, and he wrote him a letter, and he said, listen, I need you to straighten some things out there. Rumors getting back to me. I'm starting to hear some things about, uh, you know, things that are going on there in the church, and I've checked some of it out, and I, I need you to address some of these things, Titus. He says, you know, I'm getting this rumor that, that the Cretans there, the Christians on Crete, uh, I'm, I'm hearing this, that they are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Wow, that's a bad reputation. Paul goes on to say, unfortunately, the testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Boy, what a, what a, what a mis, you know, mishandling of their witness. Paul is saying, look, Titus, straighten these guys out. They're, they're liars. They're lazy. They're, they're greedy. They're, they're behaving really worldly, ungodly. I wish it was just a rumor. I wish I could say it was just some false accusation, some story made up. But unfortunately, it's true. You've got to straighten these guys out. They're representing Christ on that island of Crete. The church is the body of Christ. They can't misrepresent ministry in this way. And so Paul speaks of integrity in ministry. He goes on now in the balance of these verses to really kind of outline ministry. And I'd like to look at it in three three um, segments. The first thing we'll notice is Paul kind of describes the circumstance of ministry. Uh, the, you know, just the natural uh, elements of, of serving God in ministry, the, the kind of circumstance, the setting in which he was called to minister. The second thing, he will talk about the resources, the equipping, the tools that he has for the work of ministry. And then finally, uh, he speaks about the outcomes, what you might expect, what will be the results of faithful ministry. Let's take a look first at some of these circumstances. Again, Paul says, in, in looking back at our verses, he says, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, verse 5, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, and in fastings. This is what you might expect in serving the Lord. These are the kinds of things that we have had to endure. He begins by talking about tribulations, needs, and distresses. These are the trials of life. Paul was not immune, even though he was this called, anointed apostle of God, and many miracles, much ministry flowing through his life. He was not immune from the trials of life, tribulations, needs, tumult, excuse me, 
um, distresses. That word distresses talks about being kind of overwhelmed, not knowing what to do. Ever felt that way? Ever had life just be overwhelming? I don't even know what, what I'm supposed to do next. Paul experienced those times. The point is, these are the trials that come to every life, both believer and unbeliever. Paul is letting us know right out the gate, listen guys, just because you're now serving the Lord, don't expect everything just to open up before you. Don't expect your life just to become this kind of smooth sailing. But we do, don't we? I mean, how many of you have have complained to the Lord? I'll confess. Lord, really? I'm trying to serve you? This and then things are getting like this. This is the way you treat your employees, Lord. You let life come at us like this. Yes. Yes, the answer is yes. In this world, you will have tribulation. I think for, for some of us, I just have to say this, Christian, just quit complaining. Quit griping about life. We act like we're Christians and we can't handle life. Some people in the world seem to do better than we do. But we have the promise of eternity. We have, we have Jesus. We're not alone in these things. We have the grace of God with us. We have God using those trials. These are not just meaningless troubles. These are trials that God now crafts to bring faith and produce good and bear fruit in our lives. No, we can't expect a life of smooth sailing because we're now endeavoring to serve the Lord. Quite the opposite, expect Life will still bring its troubles, but you're, you're now on mission. These troubles have, have, have some kind of significance now because God will use them to further and perfect my faith and walk with Him. And they come. They come to every life. Not only that, Paul says, stripes, imprisonments, and tumults. Not only do you experience just the normal trials of life, you're actually going to experience persecution. People are going to resist you for your stance in Christ. People are going to come against you for your witness of Jesus and your ministry of reconciliation. It's not going to be all well received. In Paul's case, it resulted in stripes. You know what that is. Those were scars on his back from the beatings he took. Imprisonments. Paul spent some time in prison for his faith. Not for any wrongdoing, not for any crime, but for his witness of Christ. Tumults, that's those, that speaks of those kind of riotous mobs that would sometimes come upon Paul and drag him out of town. Paul experienced great resistance to his ministry of bringing Jesus to his generation. And we've not, for most of us, we've not experienced this kind of persecution, stripes, imprisonments, tumults. But I will say this, Christian, be prepared to be unpopular. Be prepared to at least resist some kind of social pressure, some kind of peer pressure, some kind of discomfort for your faith. Don't imagine that all will embrace your ministry of reconciliation. As you represent Christ as his ambassador, don't think that everyone is going to embrace you and and be happy with that. No, they're going to resist you. And I think we're living in changing times, church. I don't, I don't know what's coming for Christians, true Christians, really living for God in our culture, in our day. But my sense is that, that the culture is becoming more and more hostile and resistant to the true Christian experience and witness. I don't know that it'll ever, I hope it never ends in stripes and imprisonments, but, but certainly we, are, we need to be readied for persecution. And Paul is saying, look, this is what ministry can include. It will be resisted. 
He also says labors, sleeplessness, and fastings. These are the hardships that Paul brought upon himself. These were the things that he was willing to endure for the work of the ministry. You know, it's one thing to have trials, those we can't really prevent. It's another thing to experience persecution, something, again, outside of our control. But Paul actually put himself in situations that were hard for the sake of the gospel. Labors. Paul worked hard in his ministry. Paul was diligent with his calling. Not only did he work to support his team and his missionary, but he worked labor day and night preaching the gospel. Paul was really committed to his work and his calling as ambassador. Sleeplessness. You know, long nights, long days. Sometimes running from town to town for his life. You know, I came down late last night from the mountain on the retreat and I rose early this morning. So I'm really struggling for the Lord right now. Sleeplessness. I'm not getting my sleep that I needed last night. I'm being silly, really. You know, I, I, I suffer very little for the sake of the gospel. But, you know, Paul said, look, and fastings, fastings, that's, that, that's, that's a crying out to God in prayer. You know, again, as I mentioned, we were at the pastor's conference, and one of the missionary pastors, in his sharing, he asked the pastors this question. I will ask it to you today. He said, you know, you need to ask yourself this. What are you prepared to do for the gospel? What are you prepared to do? What are you prepared to, to, to give up? What are you prepared to pick up for the sake of the gospel? Are you prepared to be even slightly inconvenienced? Are you, are you prepared to give any effort or work or labor or sleeplessness or any kind of deep prayer and fasting? What is your commitment to the gospel? To really bringing the message of Christ to those that God has given you opportunity to touch. What are you willing to do? Paul is talking about that kind of a commitment. These are the circumstances that come with the job, and some of it I put myself into because it's worth it, because I want the gospel to be, to be available to those in my generation. Paul committed himself all in. What does it cost us to live and Walk for the Lord and serve Him and worship and ministry. You know, there's a passage when King David had opportunity to acquire some land as a place of worship. And the owner of the land said, David, I'll just give it to you. You want to worship God, it's yours. And David said, no, no, I won't take it for free. I'll give you full price. He said, I will not offer to the Lord my God that which costs me nothing. You see, David understood that God, God wants my worship to be you know, something of substance of me, not just a freebie, not just a handout, not just a leftover of my life. God wants me vested in him, his purpose, his calling. And, and David understood this. Paul understood this. In Galatians 2.20, the apostle Paul writes, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's the key. That's the essence of Paul's motivation. Remember I read earlier, the love of Christ compels me. 
Paul said, I'm living for God. The light, whatever's left of my life, I'm living it for Him. You know why? Because He loved me. And He gave Himself for me. He came for me. He saved me. He died on that cross for me. What can I but do in giving my life back to Him? I will live for Him. Jesus, I am Yours. What You have done for me, what you vested in me, what you gave up for me, the hardship you endured for me to save me, to give me hope and eternity. Lord, I will gladly surrender my life in service to you. That's the grace of God finding its way in an outworking way through our lives. He goes on, and we look on in our text, and he talks now about the powering and the enabling of ministry. Those resources that God had given to him to be effective. Verse 6, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Paul gives this list. Look, these are the things that empower me. These are the tools of my trade. This, these are the resources that God has equipped me with in this ministry. First of all, purity. You know, you might ask yourself, how can I serve God? I'm not worthy to serve Him. And I felt that way for years. I have, I'm of no use to God. My life's a mess. I've I got, got a history. i got drama in my past. I know I'm disqualified. I can't. But Paul, Paul said, no, God's given us purity. God has cleansed us. We're a new creature in Christ. We're not worthy by any of our own merit, but we're worthy because Christ has cleansed us and washed us and enlisted us into the greatest work in the earth, the sharing of the gospel, the representing of Christ in your generation, the purity that God has equipped your life with, a clean vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. He says knowledge. Christian, listen to me. You have knowledge. You know something about eternity. You know something about the God of the universe. You know something about His love and about Jesus Christ. You know things that many in the world have, have missed. And, you know, we think, well, you know, they don't really want to hear it. But listen, you know it. You've got to tell them. You've got to be open to allow the knowledge that you have to be useful in your work of ambassadoring for, ambassadoring for Christ. You know Jesus. You know Him in a personal way. You speak to Him. You know His Word. You know His heart. You know something about God. The God of the universe. You know, people are wondering, wandering about in blindness. Wondering, what's the purpose of life? Why am I here? What's going on? I don't understand anything. Many people are in that state. You know something. You know the purpose of life. You know why they're here. And you know that God has a purpose for them and loves them. Paul went out equipped with this knowledge. He said he also had long-suffering. That speaks of patience. That speaks of endurance. Paul was equipped by the grace of God to endure the hardships that came with ministry. Paul was in this for the long haul. You read the other letters. Paul said, I, I'm, I'm looking to finish my race. I'm pressing towards the mark. I'm vested in this. I'm all in. And, and you know what? It takes long-suffering. 
It takes some endurance. It takes some patience. It takes an ability to weather some storms. He's not a fair-weather employee. He's not a fickle Christian, but he's in for whatever God has for him. And that's something I believe we need to be equipped with as well. If you're kind of short-sighted, if you're, you know, fair-weather Christian, you know, you're going to get, you're not going to be successful in your ministry of representing Christ. You've got to be in all the way and have that endurance that God gives you the grace to do. Don't be a quitter. Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You press forward in what God has, has for you. Don't, don't, don't be distracted. Don't, don't give up. Be long-suffering if need be. This is a marathon. You're running for a finish line that is at the end of your life. That's when you're finished. That's when you rest from the work that God has for us. He speaks of kindness. Now, I like that. I like that. that that's the, it speaks of the, of, the, of the excellence of character in which he took his ministry. He's not out there looking to beat down unbelievers. He's not out there trying to, you know, punish them and, 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 and debate them and, and, and hate them. He's out there with kindness. Paul's trying to win people to Christ, not prove that they're going to hell. Now, sometimes you have to say that, but the intention is with a spirit of kindness to save, to win. Paul was equipped with kindness. It speaks of a goodness. It speaks of a gentleness, not only in word, but also in deed. Oh, God, help us. May our ministry at home be equipped with kindness. May our ministry in the church be equipped with kindness. May our ministry to the lost be equipped with kindness. He speaks of the Holy Spirit. Boy, I'm glad he said that. I'd be lost without the Holy Spirit. How about you? And so would Paul. Paul knew what he had living, who he had living on the inside of him. Paul knew that he'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples there before his ascension, now don't get started, guys. I'm sending you out, but not yet. <laughs> you wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit from whom you will receive power to be witnesses for me. We need the Holy Spirit. You need that relationship with God that invites his spirit to empower your life. You're not having to do this on your own and your own strength. God's spirit is with you. God will give you the words. God will give you the direction. God will give you the wisdom. You must seek him. You must ask for it. You must wait on him. You must engage. But the spirit of God is with you. He speaks of sincere love. Remember what he said before, the love of Christ compels me. Paul said, listen, I'm doing this with a sincere love. I truly care about the kingdom. I truly care about those that God would give me opportunity to reach. You know why he cared? Because God cares. You, you see, God is burdened for the lost. God is burdened for men that are slipping away into eternity every day. God cares. And, and if we truly love Him, His burden has to be there in our hearts too, doesn't it? I mean, you just can't really love God and, and not be concerned about the things He's deeply concerned about. A sincere love contrasted to a false love, a pretended love. No, it's sincere, it's genuine because it's of God. 
We can't work this up in ourselves. We don't have that kind of love. It's the love of Christ that compels. He speaks of the word of truth. What's the word of truth? The, the Bible, the scripture. Christian, you've got to know your Bible. You've got to have something to say to this generation. You've got to have something to say in that moment of, of opportunity in the workplace when someone is pouring out their troubles in their heart. And you've you, you got to have something more than just your opinion or, wow, I'm sorry, you have deep troubles. You need a word from heaven. You need to say, you know what, that reminds me of a passage when Jesus said this. And the word of God gives, is given opportunity to impact the hearts of those that we touch. Don't you know, that's, that's all I have. The last thing you need is my opinion about anything. I'm here to tell you what God's word says. And when you, you and I share in personal you know, ways and people tell me what they're going through, my mind is searching for the scripture that applies. I'm not looking for my wisdom. That's worthless. You need words from heaven. And Paul said, look, we went out with the word of truth. We were armed with God's truth and God's word. Guys, study your, your Bible. It's good that you're here. We're studying the Word together. We need to be well-versed in Scripture because that is something that is a tool and resource for the work and ministry of reconciliation. He says the power of God. That's the supernatural help. It comes to us when we are working in the kingdom. You know, we all want to see the power of God in our lives. But oftentimes we just want to see it for our own selfish purpose. You know, James said, you know, a lot of times you guys are praying and you're not getting the answers because you're praying amiss. You're just praying for kind of selfish things. God would like you tonight to start praying for the things that he, are on his mind and kingdom. That's where you're going to see power. That's where you're going to see the, the miracle working power of God. Get yourself in the stream of what God is doing and you will see his power. That's what Paul said. Look, we went out and we, did, we, you know, we met all kinds of hardship, but I'll tell you what, we saw the power of God. We saw miraculous things. We saw God doing things that were supernatural beyond human ability. The power of God is equipped for those that are engaged in the work of God. Your prayer life. Are you willing to put yourself in a situation where God has to come through? Take a step of faith. See what God will do. Test Him in this. See if God's power has something for your life as well. Finally, he says the, armors, the armor of righteousness, both for the right hand and the left. It reminds us of that passage in Ephesians where, where Paul talks about the full armor of God, right? Helmet, breastplate. But he also talks about weapons for the hands. In one hand is the offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the shield of faith, wherein you will be able to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You're not out there unarmed. God's not sent you on mission without what you need. He's given you his word, and that's a weapon. That's a powerful tool. And he's also given you faith. Faith is what you use to stand on the promises. When the enemy comes against you with the lies, you're never going to amount to anything. Your life is worthless to God. Things are going to get worse. You're going you're to experience despair. Things are going bad, and, they're, and guess what? They're going to get worse. And all that fear, all the anxiety, all the things that press in on you, what's, what's your defense? The shield of faith that says, no, I believe God's promises. I believe that a God is with me. 
Who can be against me? I believe that God is able to work all things together for good to those that love him, to those that are called according to his purpose. I believe that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can even ask or think. I believe God loves me and he saved me and he's with me. My life is not a wreck. My life is not a despair. My life is not what you're saying about me, devil, what others are saying, what my own fears are saying. The shield of faith rises up and extinguishes those weapons against you. Paul said, look, we went out armed, both right hand and left hand. Finally, we'll close here today. He speaks of the results, the outcome of ministry. What you might expect in your ministry and service to the Lord. And he sets it up in kind of a contrast. And it's as if, the, as if Paul is saying, look, as you serve the Lord, here's what you can expect. You're going to expect some people that are going to be dishonoring you, calling you a liar, calling you nuts. But you're also going to have others that God is going to use your life to touch in such a way that there's going to be honor, there's going to be truth, there's going to be life, there's going to be blessing. And so you have to ready yourself for that believer. Look, you're going to get it both ways. The outcome of serving the Lord is going to be some are going to despise you and some are going to love you. Look what he says. There's going to be honor and dishonor. There's going to be evil report, but there's going to be good report. There's going to be, we're going to be called deceivers, and yet we're true. We're going to be unknown by some, but we're going to be well-known by others. It's going to appear that we're really just wasting our life and dying, but yet truly we live. We have found real life. We're going to be chastened. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be discipline, but we're not going to be killed. God's going to use it to strengthen and discipline and mature us. There will be seasons of sorrow, but there will also be great rejoicing. There may be times in our life when, we'll, when, when we will be poor. Paul said, I've I've experienced both need and abundance. And yet, even in times of poverty, we, through our ministry, are making many rich with the eternal things. It may seem to many that we have nothing, but in truth, we possess all things. Paul found the real value in life. He found the real purpose for his life. And it was rich and full. And listen, believer, you're going to experience the same thing. You're going to have some that just despise you and you're going to have others that love you. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Can you remember the people in your life that the Lord used to bring you to faith in Him? Are they not precious to you? I was a teenager. I have no idea where some of these men that were used by God in my life. I don't even know where they are today, but I'll tell you, I know them. And I am so grateful that my path crossed them. I'm so thankful that they were faithful in their ministry of reconciliation. It changed my life. That's how God wants to use you. And you don't know the small little divine moments that he has for you, but, but when you're vested, when you're on, on the clock, God can do wonderful things in your life. Paul was willing to give up the earthly accolades and treasure because he was more interested in the eternal things. He would say in Philippians, and we'll close here, but what things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for Christ. 
Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. No regrets. No regrets from the Apostle Paul. He was just so grateful that he found something of real meaning and purpose in his life. Let's pray. Father, we're challenged today by this servant named Paul. This man who you saved by grace and then, Lord, used by grace. And we see a model. We see a template for Christian life and service. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so, Lord, here's the model. Here's the job description. Here's the, the kind of the, the highlights of what we might expect in our walk and service to you. So I pray, Lord, that you will ready us for these things. I pray that our hearts would be engaged, that we would be wanting, as, Christ, as Paul was, to be useful to the master, prepared for every good work, works that you have prepared specifically for me and specifically for each person here today. In eternity past, you saw each one and you had plan and purpose and destiny. And God, it's, it's of eternal weight and value, those things that you would have us to be engaged in. Help us, Lord to prioritize you in our heart and life. Thank you for saving me. And now, God, I thank you for inviting me to be useful in your kingdom. Help us, Lord. As our heads are bowed and we finish in this word of prayer, I, I, I do want to give an opportunity for you here today. If you're with us today and the Lord has been speaking to you and you might be here today and you do not have that personal relationship with God, through faith in Christ. We're talking about reconciliation. And if you were honest, you would say, you know, I've never really allowed God to reconcile me through Christ. I've never received Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. But God is speaking to you today. And you know, I need, I need Christ. I need to get my life reconciled with God. And if that's your heart today, and you desire to receive him, I want to pray for you. Because a prayer is all that's needed to begin this wonderful life of a new creation in Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you need to rededicate, recommit your life. Maybe, maybe you're thinking, you know, Lord, in, in some ways the grace of God has come to me in vain. I know that you saved me. I, I've received you. I believe in you. I, I know you. But Lord, I, I also know that I'm not living for you. I know that my life is wayward. I know that I've, I've kind of gone back into my own things and my own distraction. And I, I'm not engaged. I'm not allowing the grace to have its full measure in and through my life. I want to recommit. I want to rededicate my heart to you today. Maybe that's your heart. And, and, and as well, I'd like to pray for you. So if you're here today and you want to receive Christ for the very first time, or you would like to rededicate your life to Him, I would ask you just to raise your hand where you're seated. And let me see you and I'll pray for you. Several hands over here on my right. God bless you. Another hand there. Any others? On the left side here, God bless you. On the aisle, I see you. Dead center, God bless you, sir. Amen. 
Another one in the center. Anyone else? The Lord's drawing you. He's speaking to you. He loves you. He loves you and He gave Himself for you. I'd love to pray for you. Anyone else? Just before I pray, raise your hand. Let me see it. Raise it high. Don't be ashamed. Be bold in your embrace of Christ. Amen. Amen. Others responding. Amen. And so, Lord, for these hearts responding to your word today, God, I pray that you would embrace them with such a love, with such a, a personal touch of your spirit, that they would know for certain in their heart that you love them and that you receive them. That as they come to you with hearts and hand extended, Lord, you are there to meet them. And Lord, from their heart, we would simply say, God, forgive us. God, forgive me of my sin. I, I, I need to be reconciled to you today. And I know that you've made provision for that in the Son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for me. I believe it. And that's all I bring. That's all I have to offer is faith in, in your love and work. But Lord, I'm so glad today that salvation comes by grace through faith not of works. Meet these hearts today with the full measure of grace, not only the grace that saves, but the grace that begins to transform and change, the grace that begins to minister even through their life, the ministry of reconciliation to others. Thank you for these things, God. Bless your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>